Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to the Master NPC podcast, the niche and rustic podcast that brings you a variety of things, brings you the recovery ramble where I run easy and talk about something that's on my mind. It brings you workouts where I run a session, you can download it and run along with me as if I'm there with you. And it brings you conversations with our elite athletes, the elite athletes that are part of our scheme to invest in underfunded British elite marathon runners. And today, it's Thursday, 10th of February, it's episode 94, and that's what we have, we have a conversation with Natasha Cochran, and today's conversation is all about courage. I'm just jogging through the forest. It's a bit grey overhead, a bit squelchy underfoot, keeping it easy for now. But courage is one of the three values of the milestone pursuit, but they're also character traits. Courage, patience and discipline. And these are things that I think make us good at running, but simultaneously we develop through running. And so we're going to talk to Natasha about courage today and we'll get into that shortly. Now talking of being brave and one of the things about being brave we'll get into is, is that you can take yourself outside of your comfort zone and that's a brave thing to do. This podcast, this niche and rustic podcast is somewhat outside of my comfort zone but it continues to develop and this time I think I've improved the sound quality as compared to the conversation I had with Josh about consistency a few weeks back. So I'm pleased with that. But introductions. Introductions are a thing in podcast land. I struggle with that a bit, to be honest. And I struggle with it because it's like it's like a fraud. I know that I've been chatting to Natasha before we get straight into the recording. You know that I've been talking to Natasha beforehand. I've just called her up and gone, oh, hi, Natasha. So it always feels a bit weird and forced. So, something to work on. Something for me to work on. You'll see what I mean in a minute. Anyway, let's go on with it, shall we? I'll be back at the end to talk a little bit about what we've talked about but in the meantime for the next 55 minutes or so it's that good a conversation I'll hand you over to me in my spare bedroom I hope you enjoy it so today we have Natasha Cochran with us and say hi Natasha (laughs) hello everyone (laughs) and Natasha is Welsh marathon record holder and she is also one of the beneficiaries of our scheme to invest in British elite marathon runners. And in my mind, she's also someone who really embodies one of the values of the Master in Pursuit, which is courage. And I talk about it being a value, but it could also be a characteristic. It's something that I feel that really makes us great at running. Being brave makes us great at running, but we also develop it through running. And that's one of the key things that I like to talk about with both with courage and also patience and discipline which sit alongside them the sisters of courage in my mind at least in terms of the values that that we develop as runners so we're going to talk a little bit today about courage and I'm going to talk to Natasha about courage because I, as I say I see her as a particularly brave athlete but you probably don't recognize yourself as brave Natasha so what we're going to try and do is unpick a little bit of what we see in you through your story over time and this really starts in my mind with you know, the, the notion that courage is is required for us to step outside of our comfort zone. 
which we have to do all the time when we're running because we're pushing ourselves into new new territories. But actually, I'd like to start with when you left school, which is one of the ultimate comfort zones. So you're becoming an adult and you left school and you went to university in the US. So can you just talk us through what happened to start with and how that all came about? Yes, I guess how it came about is how it started, really. I had coaches contact me, uh, just emailing and Facebook messaging, actually. Wasn't that really big into social media back then when I was 16, 17? So when was this? This yeah. is 2011? Uh, yeah, I think it right? would have been around 2010, 2011 when I started yeah. to get a few DMs on Facebook Messenger. At first, I was like, oh, who's these creepy guys? But yeah, turned out was actually coaches from universities in America so obviously I was quite young at the time so my parents were still a little bit involved in everything so they were kind of overseeing a lot of it and guiding me a little bit but yeah they were all legit messages they weren't creeps like you get on Facebook um they were actually proper universities offering scholarships um based on power of 10 results so that kind of was where it all started and where it came from at first I didn't really even anticipate going out to America and then started getting all these messages and the more that came in I thought you know what maybe this is actually a good opportunity I didn't really have plans on what I was going to do after my A-levels I mean probably I would have gone to university in the UK but I had no set plans didn't know exactly what I wanted to study so yeah at the time it was just the perfect opportunity I could only see pluses from it I guess rather than any negatives um, I wanted an education it provided me with that I wanted to pursue my athletic career and it provided me with that as well so it's like a win-win for me and that's what made my decision and those coaches the non-creepy coaches came to you because of your results on the track at that time as a junior yeah so it was all based on track and I guess cross-country too although that would have been harder for Americans to yeah. know like how good they were so I think it was mostly based on track times on power of 10 and obviously I went out there to focus on track and cross country yeah so you did that at the age of 17 18 so those messages were coming in and what are you going to be doing when you leave school do you want to come and join our team because that's how it works isn't it they want you to join their team because they want to improve the quality of the athletes that they have on board is that right yeah exactly and I think how it works is if the better their team does they get bonuses and so obviously they want their team to be doing better so they're trying to recruit the best athletes they can and then develop those athletes as best as they can so that they win and get their bonuses too yeah yeah so how did you make the decision to go was it as simple as that that you saw the upsides of education and being able to pursue your athletic career like okay I can do both of those and go to the US and it'd be a fantastic experience was it an easy decision to make um I think back then it was quite easy. I was quite naive at the time. But then obviously, especially when you come back to, as we're talking about courage, there's always that bit of fear in the back of your mind. It's like, no matter what the situation is, I think without fear, you don't have that courage. They can't, you can't have courage without that fear. They don't exist without each other. So I think there was that bit of fear as well. But the positives and what I could see could, that could come of it just far outweighed all the negatives. What was the fear? What what were you feeling? It was just going into the unknown. I mean, mm. moving away, committing myself to four, which turned into five years away from home. And it's not just like an hour drive away from home. I'm quite young at the time. It was not even one flight away from home. It was two flights to where I had to go. I couldn't get a direct flight. Um, so, yeah, I guess just moving away from home for the first time so far away and yeah, in an environment that I've not experienced before in a place that I've never visited didn't know anyone so I think it was a big step at the time so you are naturally going to feel the fear regardless of how good the opportunity is and how positive it could be there's always going to be that little bit of fear in the back of your mind yeah I think that's really interesting because when I remember when I went to university which which was a little bit earlier um I remember being dropped off by my parents and thinking what that's it this is it now and I was 18 19 I guess and it was what do I do? What do I do? I don't know anyone here. I've never been to this place. I don't understand it. And that was Loughborough. <laughs> this isn't where. Where was it? You were in. Um, where did you go again? Yeah, I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Tulsa, so that's right. Yeah. No, no direct flights from London or yeah. the UK anywhere. I had to fly into like Texas or well anywhere in the states, yeah. and then get a second flight over into Tulsa. So yeah, it was it was the unknown. 
my parents yeah. dropped me off at London and that was it I was yeah so that must have been really scary getting on that first flight to Tulsa 24 hours from Tulsa I've got to put that joke in there. there's a joke in there about that but that must have been properly scary yeah I think I was fortunate that I through running that I've traveled a li- little bit before I was I mean only to Ireland with the Welsh team and things like that so I was used to traveling on my own just not to that extent so it was scary but it was exciting at the same time and did you forget a sense that they wanted you there and did that help yeah definitely I mean they they obviously want the best for you as well so you can be pretty sure that they're going to treat you decent so yeah I think that helped and I think before I went out the team already know knew that I was going so a couple of them had messaged me so that alone helps just settle Mm. the nerves a little bit I think it's more about controlling the fear and doing what you can to control that and then it's easier to face it and overcome it so then it's about visualizing I guess a little bit about what you're about to step into so it's obviously unknown but having messages with some people beforehand contact with the coaches obviously um, and getting a sense of what that environment was going to look and feel like was important exactly I think if you don't have that sense of what you're going into that's when it gets harder so I think yeah it's about facing that fear again and knowing how you're gonna deal with it and finding ways that can help you like overcome it and 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 talking to people is one of that yeah sure and because then you build those relationships which presumably you picked up when you when you got there so the people that you messaged were people I guess you spent the first few hours with when you'd arrive yeah exactly it's just I remember getting off the plane and thinking well how am I going to get from the airport to the university like I don't know where I'm going I yeah I didn't know anything and Mm. Tulsa's such a small small airport anyway they don't have taxis and things like that so yeah, luckily I'd already made those connections beforehand and was able to talk to other people already on the team and th- say, hey, like, how do I get from this place to the university? Yeah. And then they're offering lifts and we're already developing those relationships the moment I arrive. Yeah, so familiarising yourself with it as best you can. And I guess once you got there, you got running pretty quickly as well, once you arrived. Yeah, so I went out, I remember going out just a week before the actual training started just to get settled in. But I mean, the team, a lot of the team were already there. So we were already running together just without the coaches. And then within a week, we were on training camp. And then I think two weeks after that, I was starting my university lectures. And then two weeks after that, I was back starting the racing again. So yeah, it was throwing myself in the deep end that's for sure but in a way I guess the running sort of provided a level of comfort so whilst you were outside of your comfort zone being in the US and so far away from home the comfort was the track and running with other people yeah it was a massive comfort because it was basically well it was all the relationships I formed that was because of the run-in I mean getting the opportunity to actually study there that was because of the run-in and then developing the relationships with the professors and other student athletes it wasn't just the runners it was like the basketball players the football players because they treat all the athletes the same so we're all like sharing the recovery rooms and ice baths together so I think running was just the base and the root of everything that happened and went on there yeah so whilst we talk about you know courage is required when you step outside of your comfort zone and that is important particularly in running because as we're all trying to improve we're always stepping into a into a slightly new territory, whether it's running slightly quicker, doing something slightly harder, slightly further, whatever it is, we've not done it before. And I always talk about this with the marathon. Even, even if you've done loads of marathons, you haven't done a marathon at this age. You haven't done a marathon in these conditions uh, or on that course. So there's always something in our running that takes us outside of our comfort zone. But equally, we've always got something that keeps us grounded and safe and secure, which enables us to take ourselves outside the comfort zone. So I think... Sometimes we do our best work when there's that balance, when we're meeting that balance between taking ourselves out of the comfort zone, but knowing we've got something that's keeping us secure as well. I guess what I'm trying to take out of what you've just described in that story of going to the US is that you you had a comfort blanket, for the want of a better word, in the running, and you knew what it was like, and you knew you could get on the track, you knew the times you could hit, all those things that gave you security that enabled you to then be confident in taking yourself out of the comfort zone. Yeah, I think that's where confidence and courage come hand in hand together. They just fall together. So if you have the confidence, you're still going to 
have a little bit of fear, but that confidence is going to help you face the fear and overcome any fear and perhaps even make it less fearful than if you didn't have that confidence. So I think confidence is an important aspect too, but it's not the be all and end all. You can Mm. probably train yourself to overcome fears better than you can improve your confidence. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And you can overcome your fears by putting yourself in those positions where you're having to face them. Exactly. And I think it's it's the same when you look at a marathon build up, no matter how well your training block's gone, there's likely going to be something that goes wrong. Like, I think I've done probably nine, maybe 10 marathons now and had one marathon where everything went completely smoothly. So all the other marathons, there was something that went wrong, which took away a little bit of the confidence, but then places replaces it with a little bit of fear. But because I've dealt with that fear and have learned to overcome that fear, then you're in a better position already. Mm. So it doesn't phase you as much when that thing does go wrong because, you know, you've encountered either something similar or something different that's turned the training block or the race on its head a little bit. And you've got through it. Exactly. So you can know you yeah, can get exactly. through it again. Yeah. yeah and that, that's actually one of the key things about resilience. And in lots of ways, resilience is about problem solving. So you learn to solve problems over time and you grow by solving problems when you encounter them. Right. So you encounter problems. And the more you encounter, the better at resolving problems you become, whether it's the same problem or a different one. It's why people get better at puzzles like Sudoku or the Wordle thing that keeps going around at the moment. People are getting better at it because they're used to encountering these problems and solving them. That's how we grow. And it's the same is true in, you know, obviously in our sport. And once you realise you can overcome the problems, you're much more resilient when you're faced with them. They don't crash your world down around your ears, so to speak. Exactly. And I think that's when the positive attitude also comes into play. Like having that positive attitude is just so essential. And you need to look at like having the potential, looking at the potential gains that outweigh the potential losses. And I mean, if you go into a marathon, other than the race might not go to plan, you might not run the time that you want or get the position you want. Realistically, that is the only loss or you might get injured or something like that. But you just have so much more to gain from a marathon or a race or a training session. It could be anything. So I think it's definitely important to look at the positives and focus on that. That's interesting. And we'll come back to that because I want to talk to you about how you approach races with thought of courage in your head because you definitely, I think, race in a really brave way. So we'll come back to that. But let's carry on with this story. So you're in the US, so it's 2010, 2011, and you were there five years. How did it finish up and what what sort of happened in between times? Uh, So my final year there, I actually got injured quite badly. It was my fourth year I got injured quite badly, a knee injury uh, that put me out for the whole year. Ended up having surgery my fifth year. I think it would have been in May. So I was graduating like the month later. Uh, so I wasn't able to run at all. I'd already been struggling with the injury for over a year. Um, didn't really have that many plans. I think it was, I was graduating. I wasn't running. So it was kind of an unknown time in my life. I didn't know what direction I was heading in. Um, last minute applied to med school to go to med school in South Carolina. Don't know how, but somehow got accepted in. So graduated. Uh, returned home just for a summer break which was going to be six weeks um, not able to run and having this new plan of med school that I was supposed to be doing but yeah when I came home I realized that I was actually really unhappy out in America uh, physically and mentally I mean I wasn't able to run so I wasn't in a good place physically and I think mentally because of having the whole year if not more out of the sport it was just taking a toll on the mental side as well and the fact that I didn't really have direction in my life I mean I had the med school backup plan but it wasn't where my heart was it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do um so yeah last minute decided not to go back to America it wasn't where I wanted to be um I got a part well it was a temporary job that was supposed to be for the six weeks holiday when I was home just working with horses on minimum wage something I always had a passion for before going to university and yeah the six weeks is up and the boss there was said you know, you can stay here longer if you want. So I thought, well, this is like the happiest I've been in a long time. So I ended up staying there, working on minimum wage still for another year. Um, but I think that's the, it was a blessing in disguise. It was what I needed because it was a mental break from everything. 
and it was a physical break from running but it was still enough physical work where I was developing the strength back in my knee Uh, so through that time I started running again just for fun with my dog Um, and yeah built back up started mountain running and that's when I realized like actually I can give this another go if my knee can hold up to the mountain racing then I should be able to hold up to marathon training and marathon is something that I'd always wanted to do and thought that I'd be better at so I thought why not give it a go if I know that my knee can hold up to it and that's that's where the marathon training and racing began so that's just that's just an amazing story and that, that because there's so much fluid fluidity to it so you're, you're thinking about where your heart is lying and we're going to come back to that point later on as well and you're thinking about what you're good at doing physically trying to get yourself back on track mentally trying to look after yourself and make sure that you're happy and probably taking a surprising choice I mean I'm sure at that point med school in South Carolina versus working with horses locally uh, I I imagine lots of people like what are you doing yeah definitely I think as much my parents will support me in absolutely anything I do and they are very supportive I think at the time they thought what is she doing like she's Mm. just turned down med school and I'm sure they would have been very proud if I went to med school but I just knew I wasn't going to be happy with that and I wasn't happy out in America my last probably two years and I didn't really realize that until I took myself out of that position and came home for that six-week break and thought you know what this is actually the happiest I've been so why can't I carry on being like Mm. this so I think yeah taking that step away and not going back to America not going to med school was a big decision but it was an easy decision for me even though I think a lot of people around me thought it was the wrong decision at the time mm. and that for me that's really brave so it's brave to stop and say actually the, what the path that I'm heading down is not the one that's going to fulfill me make me happy whatever that expression is they you so you stop it and get off it and lots of people just carry on because they think that it's going to make them happy eventually and it may or may not do and it may it may do and sometimes you do need to persevere through stuff and i've got lots of respect for people who do persevere and it comes off but sometimes you do need to get off the wheel and go no actually let's let's change something let's do something different because it's not going to help me in the longer run because what also sits behind that is that last year if you're an injured athlete in an athletic environment on a scholarship that's a tough place to be isn't it yeah and i think that was what made my decision as well so I mean, the last year I was, I was kind of more working around in sport rather than actually running because I couldn't run. So what, what use was I to the team? Mm. So I ended up like, I don't know, being ball girl for like volleyball events and things like that, just to, I guess, make my scholarship worth it for the university. Like they had to get the money's worth. So that was all I could do at the time. And then the year before that, I was barely getting through my races I think my last race that I did out there I had two cortisone shots in my knee just to get through it and still barely crawled over the line so at that point I realized like my my athletic career over there was done um which yeah it was tough and it was mentally tough and I think I probably persevered a little bit too long I probably Mm. should have stopped earlier on when I first got the niggle in my knee perhaps if I stopped at that point then I wouldn't have had the such a big problem going forward but yeah I learned that lesson the hard way well yeah but you were young and presumably under quite a lot of pressure as well to compete and to run for the university yeah and I think when I did get injured there was about 12 girls on the team and there were only two of us healthy at the time so if I then said actually I'm pretty injured I shouldn't be running as well it would have been all left to one athlete so I think that put more pressure on and yeah it was Mm not the right decision but yeah you're young naive you don't know exactly what to do in that position yeah we'll, we'll come, come to talk about injuries in a minute because obviously you've, you've continued to suffer some injuries as we all do when we're training for marathon running marathons we're always carrying something but you've got a way of being able to cope with that and run through it which we're gonna which we're gonna get to but I'm also interested in the idea that you knew that there's a conversion isn't there from being a track runner and a track athlete in the US to being a road runner and specifically a marathon runner back here in the UK those feel like two completely different things whether you look at what's under your feet so the track itself or whether you look at what's above you in terms of the skies and what's going on up there you know being on the roads very alone as a marathon runner you're having to do a lot of your long runs on your I know you run with your dogs but aside from that 
you know, you spend a lot of time alone. Whereas on the track, you're a part of a group, you're part of a gang, the weather's better, it's a summer sport. They're two very different things. And so making that conversion, I think, is a, is a huge leap, much bigger than I suspect most people think. But at what point, what made you think you're going to be good at marathon? And the reason I say that is when you look at your track times compared to your marathon times, you're obviously proven right. So your marathon times now at 2.30 is better relatively than your mile time, for example, which is 4.52, I'm saying. I don't know that. I don't know. It's so long ago. You know, normally you'd expect to do better over the mile for as a 2.30 marathon than a 4.52. So you obviously felt you had that. What, What was behind it? Why did you think that? Yeah, I think even from when I first started running, when I was I was an under 11 at the time, my coach back then even said, like, you're better at the longer stuff. One day you're going to be a marathon runner. I always preferred the longer stuff. I think under 11, you're not actually allowed to race over 3000 metres, but I couldn't wait until I was old enough to be able to race over 3000 metres. So I think the longer distances have always been what I've preferred and what I've been better at. So I think it's always been there that I was going to be a marathon runner. And yeah, as soon as I made my return from America and was able to run again, I just knew that that was what I wanted to do and where I, where my heart was lying, really. Mm. So there's an element of you, that decision from to convert from track to marathon was made easier because you felt that it was where you where your heart lay, where you felt that you were going to be better. So your talent was in that direction made that choice easier yeah and I think I do enjoy like I enjoy just going out for hours on end I don't mind being on my own I'm quite independent I yeah don't need the company so I think that makes marathon training easier so I think just my personality traits and my physical makeup has always been geared towards the longer longer distances yeah the interesting thing there is you entered the marathon as well, not really knowing what was possible, did you? You didn't really know how good you could be. And that's another thing that I like to talk about when we talk about courage is that we're often challenging what we think is possible. So when we first start running marathons for anyone, perhaps less so for you because you'd have been doing lots of long runs anyway, but we don't know that we can go 16 miles, 30K, 35K. Once we do the marathon, we don't know we can do 42K. I mean, obviously, once you've done it and once you know loads of people can do it, we look at it and go, of course, everybody can do it. All sorts of shapes and sizes of people get around the London Marathon every year. But it doesn't stop you doubting yourself every time. And what you did there was really challenge what you thought was possible, getting into the marathon and pushing yourself. Because you started relatively modestly as well, didn't you, with the marathon? Yeah, so my first marathon, it was week after a mountain race. It was when I was still kind of getting back into running, still testing whether my knee would actually hold up to me racing again and me training at full full capacity again so I was still kind of getting back into it doing the mountain running went out to Italy uh, the week before my first marathon which was Dublin um yeah I couldn't really walk for the first <laughs> first few days of that week and then it got to Wednesday and I thought you know what I might as well go anyway but my flights I had already done a few 20 milers but like a lot of people I didn't know if I could actually run 26 miles but went out there anyway first marathon didn't really know what to expect but yeah went better than I didn't really know what to expect or what time I was going to be aiming for but around a 249 which was fine I was happy with that around my first marathon broke three hours it was enjoyable so yeah I was relatively happy with that and then my next marathon was Newport where I ran 244 I think it was that was all off of cross training because I was injured so again, I went into that race thinking, I don't know, know if I can run 26 miles. I don't know if I'm actually fit enough because I've only been cross training. But that went better than I thought as well. And then it was that after that point where I thought, you know what, I can give this a real shot. And then I was just focusing on improving my PB and improving myself each time. So then yeah, I think the next one after that was a 235. And then it's gone. You've, you've taken it down to just over 230 now over a period of time but you've done that by challenging what you thought was possible the entire time so continuing to improve yeah so the first two I think I went into not really knowing what was possible but now I'm just focusing on I mean my next goal is the 229.30 which is Olympic standard world standard so it's quite a big milestone um so yeah that'll be the next goal I mean I wouldn't have it a goal if I didn't think it was realistic so I think it is realistic and that's what I'm working towards now. Well, you're 
30 seconds away, aren't you? So it's two, two, 2.30.03 is your current best. Yeah. Yeah. So a second a mile, you can do that. That's easy enough, yeah, isn't so it? Not too bad. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to go faster, but sure. that's the next goal. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't we all? But yeah, uh, but you're setting goals that are ambitious because you don't know if you can hit them or not. You've never done it before. And you're setting them that they are realistic. So you're setting them in with something that you feel you can achieve that's not completely out there. And that's part of being brave too, is setting an, an, an ambition that is realistic. And that requires honesty about your own position because it'd be easy for you to say now, I'd like to run a 225. Well, of course, you'd like to run a 225. But how realistic is that going to be in the very short term based on exactly. where you are currently? And I think that's where you have to be realistic with yourself. And you can be ambitious. Like I have my short-term goal of doing the 229.30. I mean, that's one of the major milestones for any athlete at the elite level because it is that standard mm. for a lot of races. But then long-term, I have that goal of running 226. So I've still got that. And then each time, if I achieve that, then obviously my goals will get faster. Yeah, exactly. But you, may, you do them in incremental steps. So it's not going from zero to something amazing you go step by step to get there and as I say part of that is about being brave enough to recognize where you are now and being honest about that some people don't do that some people go no of course I can do xyz if I dream it I can do it all that kind of stuff you go no but we have to build incrementally to get to where you need to get to it sounds really boring and then sometimes you get the odd person not necessarily just in athletics but also beyond that who just suddenly does something incredible that they never knew they were capable of but usually it goes on a on a slightly incremental journey and therefore you have to pick it off step by step and be realistic about where you are as you develop the other thing that happens in all this is is it gets hard right so marathon running it's hard through the training it's hard in the race it's hard through life so one of the things to talk about with courage and why courage is required is that it gets hard and now for you you work full-time pretty much and you train a lot you suffer from some injuries and have suffered from some injuries in the time that that I've known you but you keep going so how how do you do that what do you do to keep yourself going when things get hard I think I've learned now the biggest thing that helps me is being honest with myself so for example the ankle injury that I had back in I think it was been two years ago now it was leading up to London when it was on the lap course I had to be honest with myself, honest with my coach, honest with the people around me that I was struggling. I wasn't going to perform at my best. I wasn't able to train where I want to be. Then if I'm honest, then my support team can support me and help me. So I'm going to be in a better position anyway. Um, And then it's being more realistic with my goals. Like if I'm, for example, that race, I wasn't really training in the last three weeks up to it, I think was when the ankle first started playing up. So I had to be realistic that the race might not go how I originally wanted it to go or how I originally planned. So it's just being honest with yourself, I think, is the most important thing. And then doing what you can to improve and put yourself in a better position. I think that's really interesting because you've just been ill as well. So you've had bronchitis very recently and you've been quite open talking about that in social media as well, haven't you? That you've been a little bit under the weather. You talked before about your ankle injury. So you are quite open about that whilst it's going on which is quite unusual because sometimes athletes do like to pretend or, or portray a perspective that they're fit and healthy all the time, which is also understandable because you don't want to give an edge to a competitor. You don't want to give yourself any excuses potentially for the day, but you're quite open about all of that sort of stuff. And when you shared how you were feeling pre the London elite race in 2020 with the team around you, how did that make you feel? Um, it's almost like, I didn't want to share it because I didn't want it to make make it look like I was making up excuses for yeah. why the race might go badly. But I had it got to the point where it was so bad that I couldn't I couldn't run more than 100 meters and the race was three weeks away. So I was kind of forced to share it. But I think that was kind of one of the points where I realized that I need to start sharing things. I can't just keep things to myself because I think if I hadn't shared that with the team around me I wouldn't have even made the start line I mean Mm. it was touch and go for that race anyway with the support not alone without it so I think that taught me a lot that without the team around me and without me being honest then I wouldn't have made that start line yeah so that then 
that was a lesson, I guess, in being open and being vulnerable. And that's one of the things that sits behind courage is the sense that it's being vulnerable helps us feel supported when we when we need to be and understood so that we can dig a little bit deeper. And But being vulnerable is is brave. You know, admitting a vulnerability, admitting that you might have a weakness is a brave exactly. thing to do. And I think another turning point was when I was out in America, I ignored my knee injury. I ignored how I guess I was heading in a mental state. I wasn't happy, but I ignored all of that. I hid it from everyone. I think I don't think any of my teammates realized that I was miserable. My mm. family didn't realize I was miserable. So I think that alone taught me a lot. And then obviously returning home and then not going to med school. It wasn't what people wanted me to do, but I did it anyway. And I think that it turned out better than it would have if I did go to med school and persevere through that. I wouldn't have been in a good place anyway, but I came out the other side. Like a year later, I was back running. I mean, I spent a year working on minimum wage, but I developed a CV, I guess, and then got myself into a good job. So it was it was just a kind of a gap year that I needed. And that taught me that I need to be honest with myself and I shouldn't worry about what people think around me. Which is easier said than done, particularly in your world, because people are so interested in what's going on for you and being honest about that. Sponsors will be looking for people who can deliver. And so being in a position where you're potentially presenting yourself as vulnerable in those situations potentially risks those kind of relationships. But actually, it probably works out the other way around, doesn't it? Because if you are honest, you're honest with yourself, you perform, you end up performing better. And we'll talk about what actually happened in the 2020 Elite Marathon in just a sec. But you you then do yourself justice. You're more authentic as an individual. You present yourself in a way that is more relatable to people, which is more appealing to sportswear manufacturers or anyone, potential sponsors. So it kind of turns on its head, doesn't it? Exactly. I think it's important being truthful and realistic. We're all human. Nothing's going to go completely smoothly. There's always going to be barriers in the way, no matter what they are, whether it be injuries, illness or not getting into races or it can be anything there's always going to be something like we are all human it's not it's not a smooth ride otherwise we'd all do it so I think Mm. sharing those experiences is important and you can learn from them and grow with sharing those experiences too and learn from other people yeah definitely and I always remember how we first met is through a vulnerability that you displayed which was just before that race the 2020 elite marathon where you you, you didn't have the shoes, did you? You didn't have carbon plated shoes at that point and you because you weren't sponsored. And so you, you basically put an appeal out on Twitter. We said, can anyone help me get, get some shoes? Which I think, you know, for someone like yourself, I mean, that's an, an amazing piece of authenticity and honesty to show that, you know, that actually I'm not sponsored. I don't have shoes. I haven't got, but I need them to be able to compete. Um, and it met with a really positive response, didn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, from that tweet, I... Mike actually sent me a pair of their carbon plated shoes so I think again just sharing that truth about who you are and where you're at you can get that support that you actually need like people are normally wanting to help you there's not there's very few people that don't want to help so I think sharing those experiences and sharing those difficulties is generally a positive thing you're only gonna gain from it definitely and then of course that race really played out unbelievably well as it turned out And what I remember about that race in particular, and we've spoken a bit about this before, is the sense that you were in a race, that a lot of the competitors fell out of that race for whatever reason, and you were left literally racing Naomi Mitchell for the British title. And it was head to head. She passed you, then you re-passed her. And this was three weeks after you couldn't even think about running at all. So talk us through what happened in that race and how you stuck to it. Yeah, I think, well, even when I was stood on the start line, I didn't know if my ankle was going to be okay. But after the first lap, I realised it's not hurting. I'm probably running on adrenaline, but it's not hurting. So I'm good to go. So yeah, just stuck in there and raced it. I wasn't worried about time. I knew I hadn't been training where I should have been training because I couldn't. So at that point, I was like, I just need to race as best as I can. And I think it it worked out quite well because it wasn't a fast race. The conditions were awful which was probably better because I wasn't going to be racing a fast time after the training that I had leading up to it. So I think it did pay out 
play into my hands that way but yeah just kept kept going it was more of a mental mental race for me rather than physical because my body probably wasn't in the best physical state for a marathon but I think yeah that race was predominantly mental it showed me how important the mental strength actually is and how it can get you through whatever you want to put yourself through but yeah and I remember watching that race and thinking as you were you were leading for a while and then Naomi Mitchell had a really good patch of 10k about I'm gonna guess it was the 25 to 35k something like that had a yeah. really good little bit and and came past you and once someone does that in the marathon you think, oh that's it that Natasha's gone Naomi's away and it's really hard to bridge that gap but of course you did and it may be because Naomi was slowing and she was starting to struggle but you held your pace and you stayed with it which I think yeah, is an amazing think... amazing ability to deal with someone going past you because it is an adversity isn't it when someone goes past you in a yeah. race go, oh. I think that's where it comes in where it's important where you can actually control your mental state so you can control yourself like obviously there was that fear and the negative thoughts of oh I'm beaten like she's overtaking me she's obviously feeling good she's going faster than me this is it but then I was able able to control those negative thoughts and think like there's still six miles of this race to go in the marathon you quite often go through rough patches she's probably just going through a good patch I'm probably just going through a bad patch so I was only really looking at the positives and that was what I was saying in my head like she's having a good patch I'm having a bad patch it's going to turn in the next mile or two it'll be the opposite way around I'll catch her and mm. we'll be running together again and then see what happens the last lap so I think yeah just focusing on the positives and controlling those negative thoughts is the important thing when it comes to marathon running it's such a long event that things can change mm. and whilst that's going on you're sort of believing in yourself aren't you you're backing yourself because again, you're on your own, right? So you're, you're running around that course. You've got people on the outside maybe shouting at you, but not a lot because it wasn't a very well-spectated event, obviously, then back in October 2020. So you're on your own. You've just only got yourself. And when you're out on the road and you're on your own, well, apart from when you run with your dogs, it's you, right? It's you yeah. on your own. So you've got to back yourself, haven't you? Which is a brave thing to do. Not many people like to back themselves. Yeah, it's just, it's a battle within your own head, really. Like, obviously it's a physical battle too 26 miles is very physical but I think the battle really is in your head you your body can go so fast but your mental side can push yourself further and harder so I think controlling that mental self is far more important yeah and I think that's really interesting and that was obviously a real positive so you end up winning the race as a or the British race so you're a British British champion which is an amazing accolade in any situation. But obviously it was a tough race in the conditions, given the where your ankle was in the weeks leading up to it, COVID, everything else that's going on. How much confidence did that then give you for your next race, which was the Olympic trials in the spring of 21? It was actually tough because after that race, I possibly did more damage to that ankle, which was the only negative that I came that came from that race. So if anything, it probably knocked my confidence because Olympic trials wasn't too far away. I think it was October and then March. So I didn't have that much time to get ready for Olympics. So to get healthy and then get ready for the trials. So if anything, it actually knocked my confidence a little bit. But then I did gain the confidence of I know that I can race. I might not be faster than a lot of the girls, but I can race better than them Mm -hmm. or hopefully can race better than them. So if someone's faster than me it doesn't mean they're actually going to beat me because they might not be in the correct mental state or they might not be able to carry out a race plan how it should be carried out so I think yeah it gave me confidence in that respect but it did also knock it in the fact that I wasn't physically healthy yeah so you went backwards a little bit whilst you were rehabbing um, rehabbing, yeah and which took a little bit of time but then it came to cue and that race was famous for loads of reasons. I mean, obviously, it was a really unusual set of circumstances, running laps of Kew Gardens and some tight bends and that sort of stuff, which won't have helped your ankle, I'm sure. And it, you had a very specific time goal, which was the 2.29.30, which you spoke about. And that's where you ran 2.30.03, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so just missed the Olympic, Olympic time. Just, yeah. Did you know you were going to miss it during the race? Because you were actually, my, my recollection of it is you were on target up to at least 32, maybe even 35k. Yeah, so I didn't really know where I was or how I was doing. Um, There was not really anyone out on the course, so it's hard to know 
where you're at. I was running on my own the last probably 10 miles at least. Mm. So no pacemakers or anything like that. So it was hard. I didn't really know where I was. I thought maybe I'd fallen off a little bit, but yeah, I didn't, didn't really know. I just kept pushing as hard as I could till the end, just in case I did mm. get the time. But, and I think yeah. regardless, even if I did know that I wasn't on the pace, then why should I not push myself as hard as I could? So the plan didn't change, even if I was falling off the pace or if I was on the pace. Mm. Which is really interesting because actually that race, unfolded in a quite an interesting way because there's a whole group of you were running at Olympic qualifying time pace for quite a long period of time into that race but one by one people slipped off the back and many of those people dropped out of the race altogether and Steph Davis did the, the opposite which was push on and run a 227 but you were second weren't you so you were behind yeah, so her. I had the position I just didn't have the time that's right yeah but you stayed with it even though you you may have realised that it was starting to slip. You stayed with it. And what drove you on? What made you do that, do you think? I think it's just another race. Like, why Why would I drop out? It's another experience. You don't get to run the marathon very often. So why would I drop out after 20 miles and after spending months getting ready for it? So, yeah, there was no reason why I should drop out. Like, I'm only going to gain from it other than being disappointed that I missed the time. But then if I dropped out... I would have still been disappointed, probably more disappointed. So, yeah, it's only going to gain positives from carrying on finishing it. But does your head not tell you all that time, no, stop now, stop now, your legs are hurting, this isn't working out, stop, there's no point? Because that happens to all of us, doesn't it? When we're running, we always get to that last third of any event or race and it goes like, just stop. Our brain is kind of shutting down on us and telling us to protect ourselves and all those things. Is that not happening with you? I I feel like I have a, a good way of ignoring or like putting those thoughts back where I don't they don't even become like conscious thoughts really I've only ever dropped out of one race and that was the it was a 10k I think it was it would have been the Olympic trials actually so after Kew Gardens marathon I missed that time so I thought let's give the 10k a go it was my first time racing back on the track since America I was still struggling with the ankle and in that race I just the pain it was it wasn't actually my ankle it was my back but it was related to the ankle and the pain got to the point where I was like this isn't good pain this isn't normal pain if I carry on this is going to do me more damage and I thought this is where I need to drop out so that's the only race that I've ever actually dropped out of but generally I think I've come to terms that any race is going to hurt and that's normal so you just need to get through it <laughs> just need to get through it so it sounds sounds really simple because <laughs> I think when I coach people I talk about this idea that we need to tap into some emotional aspect when it gets hard right so and this is where the heart comes into play and what sits this this really does sit at the center of the idea of courage so courage is a word that is that stems from the latin word for heart which is core so it has heart directly in the word and for me, courage is about letting your heart overrule your head. So your head will always try and protect you, always try and stop, stop you from achieving things because it thinks you're going to make, put yourself in a dangerous position. And then sometimes in our lives, of course, that's, that's a reality. Like you don't try and dive into a, a lake, a frozen lake to save someone because you, your head's telling you to do it. You're doing it because you care about the outcome for that person or you know, your head is always there to try and stop you from putting yourself into danger. And that's, that's a really bad example of what I'm trying to talk about. But the heart will drive us on. And I talk to people often about, you know, why are you doing this? But it doesn't sound like you have that at all. It sounds like you've just rationalised that it's going to hurt. I'm going to ignore my head and I'm just going to keep pushing on. Or is there something underneath all of that that is driving you emotionally? I think, yes, I am good at ignoring all the thoughts in the back of my head. But I think also having that goal and being dedicated to that goal, that is a passion. Like I'm passionate about achieving that 229.30. That is what I want to do. So I've got the support team around me as well that are supporting that. So if I achieve that goal, it's going to make them proud as well. I'm going to do everyone around me proud. I'm going to, yeah. So I guess that is part of the passion and that is what drives that inner courage and that's where Mm. my heart lies in Mm. making the people around me proud and achieving that goal so I think that is where the passion lies and the courage Mm. um and then I'm just good at 
putting those fears and those pains and thoughts to the back of my head and ignoring them because I'm focused on what I want to achieve. I think that's really interesting because earlier on when you spoke about med school, you actually said that your heart wasn't in it, but your heart is in what you're doing now, which is obviously competing and trying to get to the highest possible standard you can. I wonder, as you, you were speaking then, you were talking about you know, making the people around you proud of your support team, presumably your parents as well. Yeah, part, so part of that. yeah, they, they've always supported me growing up. I mean, when I was too young to drive, they'd always drive me to training, drive me around the country to races. And yeah, so always supportive. And yeah, so they're part of the team. I think all my family and friends are part of that team. And then obviously physios, coaches, mm. it's it's just so you meet so many people along the way as well. Like even my teammates from back in university, like, no, I didn't have a great time in university, but they were my teammates. They still care. I care about them. They're part of the team. Even, even now I still talk to them and they follow me. It's actually kind of funny because one of the girls stopped running, gave up running. She did go to med school. So now it's like, she's Mm. living her running life through, my success in the running life and I'm living my med school life through her success in med school so that's that's like the sliding doors isn't it there's your evidence for what would have happened and what I think is interesting there is when you say you know your heart wasn't in the med school you made that brave decision I wonder now how much of your drive is to prove to yourself and potentially others that it was the right decision yeah I think I said I'd like to think that I don't don't take that into consideration because I'm at the point now where I'm like I shouldn't care what other people think Mm -hmm. I can do what I want with my life like even last or two years ago when I made the move up to Norfolk so I'd not long got myself a new job in the Welsh government which I absolutely loved it was a really good job that I really enjoyed it was a career that I wanted to pursue I'd just bought my first house in Wales as well and then within six months I'm like you know I'm gonna just pack up and move across the country to Norfolk so I think that alone was another thing where it's like, I shouldn't care what people think I should, if I want to do something, I should just do it. If it's, if it's not going to harm anyone and if it's what I want to do. Hmm. But we do care about what the people around us think. The people who care about us, we care about what, what they think, don't we? Yes, for sure. So I think obviously like when I didn't go to med school, I know my, my parents would have wanted me to go, although they wouldn't have openly said it because obviously they want to support my decision in whatever I did choose to do but I mean deep down I knew that they were probably disappointed at the time so I think there was an aspect of over the next few years where I had to prove to my or prove to them prove to myself that it was the right decision I can still be successful um but yeah I think it's getting that balance right as well yeah 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 so the balance there is about my mind is the the balance between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation so the motivation for you to want to achieve whatever it is you want to achieve 229 30 226 or whatever else is in your working life as well as your running career but it's also balancing that against the motivations you get from outside and getting that in a healthy order I think is really important yeah and I think that's when it when people say it's important who you surround yourself by because yeah I feel like the people around me are supportive of everything I do and they share the same goals and passions as me maybe not in exactly the same way but like my partner he still wants to be successful and whether it be it's not in running but it's in another sport and career so we share that passion of always succeeding and pushing ourselves we both want to push ourselves so I think being in that environment as well so getting that balance of who you surround yourself by is also important and I think that's also where you need to be honest with yourself like if back when I didn't go to med school I was more honest with my parents as to why I wasn't going if I actually told them the truth that I wasn't happy and that's the reason then they probably would have been more understanding and they probably wouldn't have been as disappointed so I think that's where being honest has come from as well yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense And that's why it makes sense to me that even though you probably knew the Olympic goal was slipping in the Kew Gardens race, you continue to push because I'm thinking that looking at that going, right, I'm putting myself in your mindset, 35K into the race, 40K even into the race. You know, it's it's slipping and it's so hard to recover once it started to slip in a marathon. But if I can run as fast as I can in this race, it sets me up better for the next one. Yeah, because if I run if I run a 230.03, that's 
conditioned me in a better way than if I've run 232 or if I've stopped at 35k. Yeah, and so it was obviously still a PB in a Welsh record yeah. as well. So yeah. I'm still still gaining from it and gaining that experience because you don't run 26 miles in training. So it's not very often that you get to push yourself through that. And hmm. I knew that I was going to do another marathon in the future. So it's just more experience. And at the same time, I was also like, well, if I am slipping off the pace, it's not by a lot. So what if I had suddenly felt really good the last mile and put down a crazy fast mile like a 520 mile then that would have got me the time so really it's not over till it's over and also you might have made made a calculation error around the course you know that happens isn't it you know we our brains start to get a bit fuddled in the last part of the marathon we start to do the numbers in our head I've done it before I've forgotten that it's 26.2 miles you're thinking 26 26 26 and you go oh no there's a point two on the end I've got to think about that as well so, well, so you might as well just keep going and see what happens yeah so I and I, I don't really do the maths in my head like I focus on each mile so I know what pace I'm running and things like that but I don't tend to look at and trying to determine what my finish time will be because I think on the day it will be what it'll be like I'll put everything out there if it's slower it's slower I can't do anything about it if I'm putting everything out there so what's Mm. the point in trying to work out the time and that's also why I think it's important not to focus on the overall time when it's getting tough in the marathon because it can get you know, once you start seeing, looking at the watch and going, do that math, go, oh, the best. If I run a six minute mile now, I'm going to be, it's going to be 233. If I run a 550, yeah. it's going to be, okay. you start to do that. And he's like, well, what's the point of that? Instead, break it down into smaller chunks. And this is what I do now is break it down into lots of small chunks. And then when you get to the bit where you can actually see the finishing clock, it becomes a surprise. You don't yeah. actually know, you know roughly where you're at. But you don't exactly know what you're going to do. And it stops you obsessing with it, I think, at the point at which your brain can't cope with all that sort of stuff. You just got to keep on pushing. Yeah, I think maybe on a lap course, it's a bit harder. But like on a normal marathon, I just see it as there is no point in trying to work out what your finish time is, because there might be a hill on the next marathon and on that mile and then a downhill on the following mile, which can vary your time significantly. So I think it's just so long as you're accepting that you're going to put everything out there you're going to push yourself to your absolute max and why why does time matter and it and it might matter but it might matter later and it might matter because you're running a pb or a welsh record and a commonwealth games qualify without necessarily thinking about it but it also might matter because like i said before it sets you up for the next one so you run a 2303 yeah. next time now you've done that you can go a bit quicker i was thinking about kipchoge you know he's run a 159 obviously in the artificial conditions, but he's actually run that. So his body is now better conditioned than if he hadn't have done that. Like you've, your body's better conditioned having run a 230 than if you'd have stopped. Yeah, exactly. I think it's more that it doesn't matter in terms of how hard you're going to push yourself actually yeah. in the race. Yeah. Like regardless of what time you're running, you should still push yourself to your max. Yeah. And that is your way. That's the Natasha way. Just to keep, keep on pushing through your ankle injury, through your bronchitis, through the changing circumstances, going to Tulsa, things not working out towards the end of being at Tulsa, you just push on through. You find a way, don't you? Yeah, there's always, there's always a way, whether it's around it or over it, through it, there's always a way. There is. There is always a way, but you recognise the complexity whilst you're in it. So you recognise that actually it's hard right now. It's hard. I need to do something different. I need to get help with my ankle or I need to change my career path because it's not working for me because it's and it's hard. And that's a, that's quite a big distinction between persevering relentlessly, which is what many people think resilience is. They think it's just p- persevering until eventually you get there. You go, no, we might need to change things a bit. Yeah, I think that's the other thing. Like you've got to be honest and realise that sometimes you have to stop and go a different direction to get to your final goal. Like if I if I had gone to med school and hadn't changed direction, I probably wouldn't have even ran or maybe I would have ran a marathon, but I definitely wouldn't have been where I am now. And where I am now is what I want is the place where I want to be. Well, obviously, I want to be faster, but I'm heading in the right direction. So I think without changing, without realizing and changing my path, then I wouldn't be here where I am today. Perfect. What a great place to finish. We'll leave it there. So thank you very much for your time today. I'd really appreciate you sharing some of those thoughts and being so open. I've enjoyed the conversation. Hopefully it's been useful for 
the few people that are going to listen to it. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. So there we go. I clearly need to work on the outros, the goodbyes, as well as the intros and the hellos. Work to be done, always work to be done. But courage, now courage for me is all about letting your heart, letting your heart overrule your head when your head is telling you to stop. And I think it's great that Natasha was able to talk about where her heart lay and talk a little bit about the emotional drivers that push her on in her racing and in her training. Of course, underneath that kind of headline of courage that heart, allowing your heart to overrule your head, there are a number of other points to make where courage is required to when you're stepping outside of your comfort zone. And we saw that with her move to Tulsa. But we also saw that she took comfort in that from her running, so that enabled her, that created some security whilst she was taking herself outside of her comfort zone, enabling her to be brave. I also talk about how courage is important because we're challenging what we think is possible. And for Natasha, that for me comes through with the conversion from a track athlete to a marathon runner and a highly capable one at that. Now she said she always thought that she could be a marathon runner, a distance runner, but she never knew. And she never knew until she found out, until she tried and she discovered what she might be capable of. And still on that journey of discovery. So she's continually challenging what she thinks might be possible, what others think might be possible. And we talked about courage being important when it gets hard, as it inevitably does in training, in marathon running, in racing, and in life as we pursue our milestones, pursue our goals. And in those moments you need to be brave enough to back yourself, particularly in running, because it is all about you. And that's about taking a positive frame of mind into what you do. Looking for what you're good at looking at what you know you can do. But most of all, throughout that whole 55 minutes or so of chat, what struck me was the importance of being honest and being honest with yourself. And that is also really brave. We often like to kid ourselves about who we are, what we are, what we think, what we're capable of. And it's clear from that conversation how important it is to be brave enough to be honest with yourself and then be honest with others. It's brave to be vulnerable, to open up. But ironically, by opening up and being honest with yourself, you can often take yourself towards better outcomes. And a good example there is when Natasha made the brave decision not to go to med school and to come home, work with the horses and pursue her athletic career. Where she feels happier, more content with her life. And that contentment will quite probably lead to better results. So being vulnerable, being open, allows you to be more authentic it enables you to be to relax around who you are not having to play anyone else's game and being relaxed will invariably help you perform better focusing on you 
what's going on with you, the things that you can control, not the things that you can't. So loads of good stuff in that conversation. I really enjoyed it. I hope there's something in it for you. And we carry on. We carry on being brave. So thanks very much for joining me as ever. And I look forward to speaking to you again very soon. Take care. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.